So settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. This is Snooker Club. This is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Hello, you're listening to the Snooker Club with me, Stephen Hendry. Uh, and me, Mark Watson. Hi there. This is the official podcast of the World Snooker Tour, and on today's episode, we'll be joined by Kasabian bassist Chris Edwards to talk about his love for the sport and whether snooker in the 80s really was like rock and roll. Chris will also be taking on our famous quiz, looking to beat Stephen's intimidating break of eight from the last episode. Uh, we've got loads of listener correspondence to get through. We've heard from plenty of you, which is really nice. And we'll be rounding up the very latest from the World Snooker Tour. So welcome to episode two of the Snooker Club. But before we start rounding up the last couple of weeks on the tour, Mark, you've been on a tour of yourself. I've been in Cheltenham. Where have you been? What have you been up to? Yeah, touring is a bit more lonely if you're a comedian. There's no other, there's no one else to play against. It's, it's just me. I've been all over. The, since the last boat you I've been in whoa, Winchester, Manchester, Lincoln, Reading. I mean, the shows have been really nice. It's nice to meet fans. I had a, a guy come into my show the other day. He was in the lobby of the theatre beforehand. He asked me to sign something. I said, um, oh, thanks very much. Enjoy the show. And he said, oh, I'm not, I'm not coming to the show. <laughs> literally came in for the signature. Off he went again. So there you go. That's how my tour's going. <laughs> how, how, how do you find like hotel living and stuff? Do you like it or I, I didn't? I, you know, I never minded it because I like my own company. I'm the same. It's funny. Comedians do complain about it, it, it quite a lot, but I find I think it was when I um probably shouldn't say this, but when I first had kids, I'd go away on tour and it was such a relief to just be in Amazing. in a quiet dark room. And I've never really I've never changed that in a way. I still. <laughs> It depends on the hotel, of course, but if it's a nice hotel, you yeah. you feel this real relief. Yeah, I really like it. And like, you're right, a lot depends on um, liking your own company. And I think some of the stuff, rock and roll, the crazy stuff like trash in hotel rooms just does come from some people just can't be alone with their own thoughts yeah. and they just go completely mad. Uh, uh, let me ask you this question. So I used to do, when I start, first turned pro, to sort of supplement my income, because obviously I wasn't very successful then in terms of prize money. I used to do exhibitions for Riley's, who were the, the, the table money, oh, yeah. up and down the UK. Did you prefer to travel at night or the next morning? I was always a night, because I thought I can I can lie in bed longer in the morning. Absolutely, get just get it yeah. done, yeah. I don't like I don't like getting up in the morning. It's been difficult as well, because the train strikes and everything, the, um, right. a lot of the travel is absolute chaos, so I have to plan a long way ahead. But yeah, I'd always I'd rather get there any time. Sometimes you check into a hotel at like two in the morning or something and they're they're not happy to see you like yeah. the woman on reception is half asleep <laughs> some hotels are amazing for it but there are sometimes on tour I've, I've turned up at hotels and there there's just no sign of life at all you're having to like just <laughs> knock on the door starting to think about breaking in <laughs> i stayed in a place in um cumbria about 10 years ago and it was miles from the, the the gig was just there wasn't anywhere nearby to stay and um i had a tour manager for that tour the guy was driving me and on the way, I Googled it and it said it was Britain's most haunted hotel. When we checked us in, the guy made a big thing of going, you're in room number four, which um, you should be all right. But there's been one or two. He was really he was really hyping it up. And <laughs> I was like, I was up for it. I'd, you know, anything like that, any adventures. I was I was sort of wide awake looking for ghosts, but nothing. I, t- I turned up once later. A quick story before before we move on. Um, I'd, I'd been driving from one exhibition to another. So I got in a hotel. It was about 2 a.m. 
and I still had my snooker suit and everything on. But the guy who was driving me was, was carrying I didn't always have him carry my cue. I'm not that precious. But for some reason, <laughs> he was holding my cue. So this 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 guy come out from nowhere and asked me if he could get some ham, some ham sandwiches and sandwiches teach it up to his room. He thought I was working in a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> the reaction to the first one of these has been great. We're number 17 in the in the charts, Apple Podcast Charts for Sport, which I know is... I think that was my ranking when I retired. I was going to say, yeah, that's, what, that's, <laughs> that's where you are these days, Steve, 17. I mean, this is the thing that you're, I mean... 17 in the charts is pretty good, but we want to we wanna go higher. Obviously, you're, you're a winner. You've been world number one. Yeah, what's yeah. else? Nothing less. Exactly. So please keep downloading it. Uh, all the episodes are available on Apple, Spotify. Subscribe. Leave a review. Reviews help. Snooker Club. Well, leave a nice review. <laughs> Stephen will be furious if it's less than five stars. Snookerclub at WST.TV. And let's keep driving up the charts. Already they've smashed the uh, the previous podcast download numbers but we're not steve and i are winners we're not content with 17 we want to <laughs> i'll also look up what the higher ones are and try and sabotage them in some way hello i'm jed trump and whenever i'm flying around the world i listen to the world snooker tour podcast the snooker club so we're four tournaments now into the 2023-24 season and um steven you've just come back from the british open in cheltenham did you ask williams and selby to wrap it up as, as quick as possible well, I did say before the last frame, I said, you know, Mark, let, let, let Williams in, you know, miss that snooker that you never do before in your life. Yeah, uh, just leave something for him. But the podcast <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I imagine Williams and Selby will be tuning into this as well. And uh, so thanks, guys, for wrapping up in just the 17 <laughs> frames in the end. It looked like being, you know, possibly go all the way when it was at, it was at um, eight, seven, you know, Selby was all over. Uh, Williams, I have to. I mean, it sounds rude. We're surnaming them, but obviously, when they're both called Mark, that's oh, it's all called Mark. Do. Nothing you can do. <laughs> yeah, me as well, actually. It's a Mark-heavy episode. This one. Yes. Uh, but and then Williams pointed that long bone and cleared, and you know, made the great clearance to go nine-seven. It was like it almost seemed to be like a, a relief to him to to start putting balls again and not having to go through like a, a thirty-four of a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, you almost forget you can pop balls in some of these matches, yeah. And then, obviously, to win, to steal that next frame, how he won that next frame, I'll never know. He needed a snooker with three reds glued to the black cushion. Um, and he ends up winning yeah. at 10-7, and you were able to see your home again, after all. I think for everyone, it was like a huge a huge relief. <laughs> yeah, well, when you got the snooker, you, you felt like you could see people in the audience thinking, oh, thank God for that. I, yeah. I've got things to do tomorrow morning. <laughs> Did you start to worry it was going to get to 2 a.m. or something? It was It was, It was. It was looking looking like it i'm telling you it was um it was a tough watch with the itb we we sort of um we do our stuff in the studio and then the guys that are not commentating we go in a green room and watch it on screens pick out shots that we're going to talk about in the analysis for for me is it was a tough watch because i'm like um it's not my kind of snooker it's yeah it's, it's not it's not really the snooker that i was um very good at i mean it, it was high high quality um as i said on tv as i had high quality defensive you know, not giving your opponent a sniff snooker. It's amazing. We've seen Selby play some frames that are so long that you could pop home during it and come back again, to be fair. <laughs> but you say you can't teach it, but actually Williams is teaching it because he seems to have a kid that is also starting to make some... His youngest Joel is um, in 80 and 90 breaks. I saw him tweet that. I mean, bloody hell. <laughs> Just when you think you've... We haven't even seen the back of this Williams yet, and now there's another one that's on his way to centuries. Oh, I know, I know. There'll be generations of Williams. We won't, we won't live to see a tournament without a Williams. It's, it's bad enough with Venus and Serena, and now these guys. No, I know. It's... I don't think they're related though. The Williamses. <laughs> it is always unbelievable when you see someone win a frame from a snooker down, though. It, it just doesn't feel it's, possible to come back from that. Listen, it's it's nothing that I I I did very often. I tell you because I 
Now, I generally wanted to concede when I needed yeah. one snooker. As I say, it's a side of the game that um, I didn't put as much effort into that. Let me put it that way, as making big breaks. You'd rather just say, okay, write this one off and, yeah. and rack them up again. Yeah. Sometimes you see players just, they just won't let it go. They just yeah. have five I, or six well, attempts at it. I want a tournament where when the frame's mathematically won, that's it. Finish. Finish there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be able to calculate over a season how much time TV time is wasted on someone playing for snookers when the frame's <laughs> yeah. won. I mean, it's like, you, you, some sometimes it's like, we're commentating and now we're in the green and we're thinking, right, okay, make sure you put the next ball so your opponent doesn't come back to the table. Put the next ball and then they miss. And then you've got 15 minutes, 20 minutes of trying to get the frame over and the guy yeah. needs snooker. Maybe you should just be out, like yeah. the commentators just say, and we're sending Hendry in now to wrap this frame up. You've, turn the lights off or something. Turn the table lights off or something. Just like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just throw them out of the building. How was it? As a tournament on the whole for you, Stephen, we were saying beforehand that you quite like the format of it because anyone can meet anyone. Did it sort of live up to what you were hoping for? There were some cracking games. There there was. Um, there's two sides to having this open draw. I think there's definitely room for it in a calendar because it's different to any other tournament. The downside to that is you can have two top players drawn together very early, so you're getting rid of top players. Um, yeah, I mean, well, there was obviously the... the Jack Lazowski, local boy story, and obviously, you know, he's, he's still to win a ranking event, and he, he was p- playing incredible. He had that unbelievable clearance against Sean Murphy. What a match that was. Yeah, Murphy's face was an absolute picture there. You, you could see him just thinking, what is happening here? <laughs> I know, it's like, but he's, because as, as Murphy said, I mean, when he's going on for the long red, you kind of want him to go for it because yeah. it's a difficult shot. And then when he potted the difficult black, you, you, when you're Murphy, you just know that you know what's going to happen. Um, and yeah, Murphy was already by then tweeting about having a fridge full of wine, which is I, I enjoyed that tweet. <laughs> yeah. about five I mean, hours later, he, he tweeted saying there is no longer any wine in the fridge. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. But I mean, it must be that must have been a sickener. You could see Murphy just sort of shaking his head softly and yeah. muttering to himself. But There's not a lot you can do when someone pulls that off. But Lizowski's always got a moment like that in every tournament, but it's just never quite gone all the way. And he's and he's, he's such a good loser, isn't he, Sean? I mean, I can't, yeah, can't understand it. I'd be like, Dev, I wouldn't want to speak to anyone, but he's in there and he's like, he's got his his real bow tie around his neck. I don't know if you've seen it. He's interviewed afterwards. He wears a real bow tie that you have to tie. I've never worn one of those in my life. No. I wouldn't know how to start. He's the only person alive that still ties a bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. got this, it's the shiny suit. He's got the braces. I mean, it's like immaculate. You'd be ripping your bow tie off. He said last week, actually, you barely could get through an interview sometimes if you'd lost. Yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, if I'd lost a match like that, God, I'd be devastated. But um, he takes it. So, listen, I know he's hurting inside. It's no, but he, but he's the way he's able to project this still, this, um, this, uh, good like, loot. I mean, it's, yeah. It's he's a very generous, admirable, loser, yeah. Admirable. I, I couldn't. Admirable. You just can't relate to it yourself, personally. No. I mean, there's lots of things I can't relate to. I mean, let, let's, before the final yesterday, there's footage of Mark, the two Marks having Dang. a laughing joke before they go out. They start, what is that all about? I've seen you criticise that before. There was a viral clip of you. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Selby and someone else again. And you were just, it's a 10-second clip of you just furious going, I can't, <laughs> I can't understand I, that. I, just, I hate this. <laughs> I just don't understand it. And, and and to be fair, part of my downfall was I started to get sort of a bit more familiar with opponents. Oh, you uh, went soft. Yeah, yeah. And and, and Williams was probably at, the, at the, the forefront of that. I became good friends with Williams. Um, 
And he uh, seems like he yeah. would be a good chat before the game as well. Yeah, yeah. But friends and tops was just, you can't just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, Lazowski was a, was a great story. Um, obviously, yeah. lost lost in the end to Selby. It's amazing, isn't it? Even with this format and even with all the shocks, you still end up with Selby and Williams in the in the final. Yeah. There's, 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 I mean, you're right. I mean, as I say, during the middle of the week, we wondered who was, you know, I wondered who's going to be in the final because I like to, you like to see shocks and you like to see new players coming through and everything. But for me, when you get to the finals and the semifinals, I like to see the best players. You wondered, kind of wondered who you were going to get. And it was obviously two absolute legends of the game in the final. Um, as I say, at times it was a tough watch, but um, it was great. So in the end, as we've heard, it was Mark Williams who came out on top, beating the other Mark, Selby 10-7. Williams caught up with the WST team at the event. Let's hear from him now. Mark, what what a battle, what an incredible <coughs> final, but you've seen one of Snooker's greatest battlers in Mark Selby. Just how pleased you to get over the line there. Unbelievable. I mean, all, all day, really. I, I don't think many people gave me much chance beating him first to 10 or two sessions, to be honest, but I think all day... I competed with him and probably outplayed him in the safety department, you know, which is, is really good for me because he's the best in the world at it. And, and if I didn't outplay him in the safety, I definitely competed with him. I uh, potted some really good long balls, had a really, really good clearance to go, I think 9-7 when he was looking like 8-all and he was a stronger person. He probably would have gone on to win then because I was, you know, flagging a bit. But just to compete with him, over two sessions, first to ten in a big tournament, is unbelievable for me. Uh, you know, at 48, as I keep going on about, but it's got to be up there with my best wins ever. And what about that last frame? You told us throughout your career how you, you don't feel nervous. You, you've had a heart rate monitor on you, you wouldn't show much. But you did say in the semi-final you were feeling nervous. How were you feeling when you were trying to clear up at the end there? No, not no bad at all. It was, uh, you know, I was shaking a bit in the semi-final, but clearing up at the end, no, I wasn't shaking one bit which I normally, uh, the, only t- the only time I thought, you know, I knew I had a good chance to win it. And when I come straight on a pink in the middle, I know I've got it this one sweet, you know, it's, the middles are really tight and uh, that's the last shot really, just stay down, put a nice stroke on it. And uh, it went straight in the middle. But, you know, it was only a 30 odd break, but more than a 30 odd. And you did give it a little fist pump after you got over yeah, right there. Yeah, because uh, I, I haven't won a tournament for so long and, and you know, to. To win it like that, having a snooker, you know, I deserve a little fish. You know, it was nothing silly, like just a little, you know, because I am proud of myself for, for, for winning this tournament, you know, because uh, it's, it's not easy. And I am woman for a while beating Selby. When I haven't had a, you know, easy draw, you know, I've had, you know, Ding in the one round, Steve Maguire the second round, you know, and the pro in the first round. So, you know, it's not as if I've had a, an easy path through. It's been tough all the way. 25 ranking titles now in your career. When, when you were starting out back in 1992, <coughs> you ever dreamed of amassing that, that number? No, I, I was, I've got to be honest, I was more than happy with 24. If you, if you want me to be truthful, I didn't think I was going to get off it. I'm on 25 and it's an unbelievable feeling. You, you know, I've heard a couple of commentators and, and that think, and you know, maybe I'm a bit too harsh on myself. Maybe I do deserve uh, to put, pat myself on the back a bit and you know after winning this maybe maybe I'm a bit better than what I actually give myself credit for as a snooker player you know because I never really give myself that much credit but after winning this maybe maybe I'm t- being a bit too harsh on myself and you know I am pretty good 
you said, oh, pretty good. How, how much longer do you, you've said that you're just going to keep going on and, until you drop off the tour. How, how much longer do you think you can keep keeping keep, keep at, at this level? Um, well, I'm going to keep going and, until I can't play anymore. Um, how long I can keep going at this level, I don't know. Um, I've always wanted to see where I'm going to be at 50 and, you know, I'm, I'm only 49 in six months' time, you know, so I'm not far away and I've just won a tournament. So who knows? Uh, let's enjoy the ride while, it, while, it is, while I'm still going. Well, yeah, you're now the second oldest ever ranking event winner behind Ray Reardon. Do you think you can, can pip him in a, if you Ah, I don't know. I don't know. I'll try. That's all I can say. I'll try. Well, it's an, an yet another magnificent win tonight. Mark, many congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm Stephen Hendry. I'm Mark Watson. And this is Snooker Club, the official World Snooker Tour podcast. Uh, Stephen, obviously we're going straight ahead now to the English Open, where O'Sullivan, Mark Allen, Luca Brasella all all there, and it's pretty tight for world number one spot. Mm. Um, how much does that does that sort of play on your mind at all? I mean, Ronnie never seems like he's thinking about that particularly. But when you were playing, was it important to you to be like top dog like that? Or? Uh, I, I thought world, being world number one for me was very important. Mm. Um, what, you know, what, what you do first, world champion, when you, when you obviously start playing world champion or world number one, you want, want to be world champion. That's your amb ambition. Then once you've done that, it, it, for me to be world number one, to be known as the best player in the world was, was so important. But I don't think Sullivan cares about that. I don't think he cares at all because it, you know, he's, he's he doesn't play in everything. Um, yeah. So, so he's, he's he's I think in his stage of his career, and I think Mark Williams is the same, and I think John Hay probably they they just want to they're just playing to win tournaments to win yeah. trophies. Um, then I don't think they're thinking about the rankings. Um, but there will be players. I think Selby wants to get back to world number one. Um, I'd be yeah. disappointed. I'd be disappointed if he didn't. I think Judd Trump wants to be known as the best player in the world, world number one. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's you say it's, it's pretty tight up there, and, and the tournaments now are coming thick and fast. Well, you say that they're there to win trophies, but actually I saw Ronnie saying that he was giving away all these trophies, and um, after he, <laughs> he doesn't seem to care about the physical. In fact, he said he was preparing for death by giving all this stuff away, which is not what you expect to hear someone say after they've won a championship. But there you go. That's Ronnie for you. <laughs> Have you got loads of old, like the actual trophies and stuff? Do you the physical items? Did you sort of? Um, you value yeah, them. I've got a few. I must. I must admit, trophies didn't really, really mean much to me either. Really, it's. It's no titles was a better word. Really. Yeah, it's so the actual honours. The big tournaments, you don't get to keep the trophy anyway. Um, yeah. you, you get like a replica or something. Yeah, I suppose so. That you won it. So, um, but yeah, for me, titles was a thing to be known as world champion, UK champion, Masters champion. Um, the trophy is just a kind of. The trophy and the prize money actually you don't think of the prize money when you're playing but at the end that's that's obviously your your wages your bonus for, for for winning the title yeah it must be quite nice i remember when bingham won the won the world title and that when they said and a check for whatever it was 250 grand you could see bingham thinking bloody hell that's worth having actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's weird as well because when um you know, even if I played with someone in practice, even back when I was was, was winning everything, it's like if they say, "Do you want to play for twenty quid?" I couldn't play. I like it's like it's twenty quid in my own pocket. Maybe it's a Scotsman in me. I don't know. <laughs> I like, but if you but when you're in a final playing for like two hundred fifty grand for us, but you don't think about that. But that's um, really funny. But twenty quid and suddenly the pressure is ramping up. Yeah, yeah. And I used to play money matches before I turned pro. My manager would set them up. For you. He would play like a local pro for like a thousand pound or five hundred quid. You'd, you'd arrange it. And if right. I won, I got half. And if the loss, he took the he took the hit of the loss. But I hardly won any. 
playing for right. this cold hard cash um, was not my thing. But as soon as it's a massive novelty check, you're all right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, there's a room with a whole cut these massive cardboard. Checks. Yeah, <laughs> just wallpaper is just a cardboard check. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you are world number one, do, do you feel like it's putting more pressure on you? Like, do you feel like everyone wants to be the number one, or does that not really uh, play on your mind? It, it's it's true, but I loved it. Mm. I loved being a target. Um, I enjoyed it um, because you're just constantly proving why you're the best. Um, yeah. It's it's a it's a it's a I don't know whether every, everyone um, feels that way. Um, sometimes I mean even just being you get players who are outside the top sixteen. They they the when they're, they're underdog they play really well. You think well he's he's a good. Then they get to the top sixteen, then they're seeded, then they're a target, and then they don't play as well anymore. Because yeah, it weighs on their mind. The pressure's on the expectation. Um, they'd rather be underdog with no pressure than 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 being expected to win. But you wanted it. You you liked the pressure. Yeah, I I, I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I, 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 you know, to be back there, being the best would be amazing. As we've mentioned, the Bet Victor English Open is underway now, and um, to mark the start of the tournament, the team caught up with the reigning champion Mark Selby to discuss all the key talking points ahead of his title defence. Right, so it's Chris here from WST Media, and we're here with English Open champion Mark Selby, and he's going to be doing something very, very English today, Mark. Uh, He's going to be creating, not literally, his favourite full English breakfast. First of all, Mark, how are you, and uh, are you excited for for this week's action? Yes, uh, looking forward to it, you know. Uh, Obviously, winning it last year was obviously a great achievement. My first tournament for a few years, it was quite emotional, really, with everything I'd been through the previous years. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting back there and trying to defend it and see how, see how I go. First of all, the most important question is, are you a fan of a full English? Yeah, I don't have it too much, but uh, it's more of a treat for me. But when I do have it, yeah, I enjoy it. We're going to start creating the, the sort of the foundations of your full English. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, what would be the sort of the first thing that you would think of when it comes to it? I don't know. What, what would I have on my plate? What would you have? What would, be your, what would be the sort of first thing you would want to put on that plate? Poached eggs. Poached egg? Poached eggs, yeah. Not a fan of a fried egg? or? Uh, no, I'd, I'd prefer poached to fried if, ever, if I'm ever having it. I'd have a poached egg. So, yeah, poached egg. Uh, baked beans is a must. Baked beans, absolute must. Really, for me, that's no chance. I can't, no. can't be doing with baked beans. Absolute I think they have ruin it. But absolute must baked beans. But the place where we go, uh, me and Vicky uh, in Cosby, is like a little, little breakfast place. They put the baked beans, but they put them in like a little tray. So rather than being on the plate and everything just gets soaked, they're just in a little tray. So it's good. So yeah, baked beans, uh, sausages, absolute must. Cumberlands. Yeah. Do you uh, have do you have sauce with sausages? Brown sauce. Brown. It's got to be brown. Brown sauce English. on the sausage, yeah. I think. Yeah. Brown sauce. Uh, bacon, obviously. Uh, mushrooms. Mushrooms. It's mushrooms. a controversial one. Not many. Some people might not yeah. go for a mushroom, but mushrooms. Hash brown, and a couple of slices of toast. Well, that was Mark Selby's full English breakfast choice in honour of the Bet Victor English Open. If you want to let us know what your choices would be, email us at snookerclub at wst.tv or contact us through our social channels. Now let's get back to the podcast with Stephen and Mark. There you go, a tactical analysis from Mark Selby. You get a sense there of why he is the champion that he is. Moving on from breakfast, Stephen, I'm happy to say we've had some correspondence from listeners. I've already met a listener on really on about on tour. Yeah, in Winchester, someone said to me, "Oh, I enjoyed your snooker pocket." It's only come out the day before. And then he asked if I was going to Cheltenham, but I said I couldn't couldn't get ticket. Um, <laughs> but we have had some. Um, I'll sort you out tickets if you want. If you can't get ticket, I'll try and sort you out. Should have asked you really a bit later. <laughs> uh, we'll see when the world's come around. Um, we asked a couple of questions, but we've also had some just. Um, 
some general letters. Someone could ask him asked an interesting question, which is, um, well, he says, dear Mr. Hendry and Mr. Watson. But then he goes on to say, you truly were an inspiration to me when I was younger. My brother and I used to stay up watching and marveling at your abilities. So I think this bit is addressed to you. Um, (laughs) And and certainly this question is when you this is interesting. I think when you first came onto the snooker scene, who were you most afraid of playing against? Uh, Steve Davis. Yeah, I thought it would be that. Without without a doubt. I mean, he was he was just it seemed to be just winning everything. I mean, snooker then was only on. Obviously, there's there was no Sky Sports. There was so there was four channels, maybe even just yeah. three at, at, that, at that time. Yeah, um, Channel 4 was a novelty even, yeah. Yeah, so um, I think BBC and ITV, so Steve seemed to be in the, the final of every tournament, so yeah, um, so when I turned yeah. pro, yeah, he was he was the one, um, yeah, you'd be intimidated by, but even like, because I was so young, people like Cliff Thorburn and, you know, yeah. there's like, like real, real like, look like real you know, grizzled old men, like to me at 16, you know, this is clear, you know. Like, yeah, it must have been, but, but that literally men be boys sort of yeah. situation. Yeah, uh, definitely. So, um, yeah, people like Cliff Thorburn and we would be intimidated because I was very shy. I didn't speak to anyone. So deliberately avoided speaking to people. <laughs> well, yeah, it's probably one of the reasons I was, but I was, I was shy. So I found that quite easy. But um, yeah, because yeah, obviously you watch all these guys on TV and, and, when you when you see them, they're all they were all intimidating. I think I've heard you say before. Davis also had that mentality of not speaking to people. Yeah. Backstage, just like would avoid your eye in the corridor and stuff. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's the whole thing about it is keeping yourself away from it is because you keep that that sort of aloofness, that mysteriousness, where the, the people you're playing against they don't know anything about you, so they're, yeah. they're kind of sort of on the back foot straight away. As soon as you get familiar. People lose that sort of, well, he's just normal. I'm, you know, he's, he's fresh, but he was speaking to him like this. Nothing to be yeah. scared of. People don't know. Like, you never see Ronnie speaking to anyone before the, he goes out or really. No, so he seems a bit of a mysterious up. figure. Yeah. yeah. So he's got that intimidation factor straight away. This one is from someone called Stephen. So this might have just been you sending it in to like boost our numbers. But hopefully it's a, it's a difference <laughs> to you. Because I'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And he said Stephen from Bristol. So it's a mixture of my hometown and your name. So it's a bit suspicious, this actually. Uh, my friends, Mark and I, again, Mark, Mark and Stephen, uh, <laughs> we play best of 35. That would be too much, surely, for you, Stephen, for a homemade trophy that I made using a 30-year-old football cup. Since we started playing for the cup, I've struggled to hit breaks um because of the pressure and then he says listening to Stephen talk about you talking last week about the things that you start to notice about the other guy like his shoes you talk about the stains on the waistcoat I do the same he says so my question is how can I transform my game to be more consistent is it purely practice and uh consistency is one of the things you were famous for yeah when you were at the top so what you got any is it the sort of thing you can give tips on or is it just about like getting to a level where you, you don't drop uh, and unfortunately, there's, there's, for me, there's no getting away from it. It comes down to hours and hours of practice. Yeah, uh, that that's how you get that um, that sort of consistent performance. Um, by the way, I hate that word consistent because normally normally it's used in the before like he's a consistent semi finalist or he's a yeah, consistent. Yeah. Well, and I think oh, now I want to. The only time you should do word consistent is before winner. That's the only time in these. It's but, true. Normally, um, consistent doesn't fill you with excitement, does it? It's it's all it's all about practice. Um, that that's 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 the only way I think um, to you know improve your play um, is to just try and hone that technique. Um, I, I don't know what, what standard um, Stephen and Mark are, but best of thirty-five. How long has that taken them? <laughs> yeah, I mean that would take me about a week, I think, if it was me and my mate. <laughs> Presumably, they're not doing that in one session. I mean that they're. they're 
they're coming back and doing it in like yeah 35 is a lot they used to didn't they used to do that in the worlds didn't they they used to have enormous number of frames back in the day yeah well it, well the final still best of 35 over two days four yeah. sessions um and that that's why the world's the biggest the biggest test because it tests everything it tests your skill your temperament uh stamina being able to last those 17 days that's why it's it's it should never be reduced to the frames in the world championship those late nights with ken doherty i tell you what you need some stamina to keep up with him you, i bet you can't 17 days all legs i tell you that right now <laughs> That'd be named for your memoir, 17 Days with Ken Doherty, or 17 <laughs> Nights, 17 Nights with Doherty. <laughs> I believe, I think in the in the very old days, in the 50s, or like when they were first doing it, they you look on Wikipedia and they used to play like first to 30, 40, like insane numbers oh, yeah, of frames. Yeah. Oh, yeah, matches over seven, six, five, six, seven days. I remember watching That's... Alex Higgins against Ray Reardon, and Alex Higgins conceded sort of into day three of a five-day <laughs> final against Ray Reardon or something. He just couldn't shouldn't... take it anymore. <laughs> yeah. This is international fan, Donna from Ontario uh, in Canada. Firstly, she says, I'm from a very isolated community in northern Ontario. I can't get enough of anything snooker related. So that's our target audience, people that never see any snooker and are desperate. (laughs) They'll take anything they can get. Um, She says, and this is quite a relevant question, once Ronnie retires, who, if anyone, has the potential to be the new superstar of the game? The black and white of it, the truth of it, is that Ronnie is the superstar in snooker. Yeah. Um, And... They don't he's come on very often. The, he's the one that everyone wants to see. He's the reason why he gets paid you know, appearance fees to play in tournaments. Um, everybody wants to see him. You'll also see him just talk in interview, say he's been playing rubbish. After winning 10-3 or something, he'll say, yeah. I wasn't really, yeah. really there today. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes he'll just say, I'm, I'm not really I'm not really into snooker. His interviews are fascinating. I um, yeah. Well, we heard him on the podcast last week just talking about how he has hot milk before bed, and that's... You say, how do you feel about winning the trophy? He says, well, I'm, I don't really care about the trophies. I'm preparing for death. And then they said, how are you celebrating? And he said, I'll have three cups of hot milk and go to sleep. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you can't really predict it. We also asked we asked a couple of specific questions. For a start, we asked, who's the most famous snooker player you've seen on holiday uh, or sports person? And um, Adam on Twitter says he saw you, Stephen, on a flight back from Menorca 10 years ago. And you had a lovely pair of flip-flops. Can you confirm or deny that? Um I'm afraid I have to confirm that I probably was wearing flip-flops, yeah. On a plane. On a, on a plane. Well, well, they're comfortable, isn't it? It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's the, you know, airy and, yeah. know, and you know, it's summer. And, yeah. Yeah, fair but enough. But I, do, he didn't, I do apologise if he couldn't recover from that. I mean, <laughs> but, well, it sounds like he obviously didn't trouble you at the time, but he's been carrying it around. It sounds like he expected me to have my dinner suit on and some patent leather shoes on. <laughs> yeah, like Sean Murphy. <laughs> I, bet, I bet you Murphy is still in a suit and bow tie even on a plane. Um, well, he does say it was 10 years ago, and he obviously didn't yeah. speak to you at the time, so he's been carrying around this memory of you in flip-flops <laughs> for a decade now. I'm glad. That hopefully this podcast provides people with an opportunity to get some stuff off their chest. Um, Robbie on Facebook says he met Stuart Bingham, since we've mentioned Stuart Bingham. He met Stuart Bingham withdrawing cash from a Tesco Superstore cash machine. So there you go. He doesn't say whether he was, he was withdrawing his £200,000 for winning the, the world. Maybe we should throw that out there. Not the most exciting places you've seen people, the most dull places you've seen people. Yeah, let's let's set that as a challenge going forward. <laughs> what is the most boring most encounter task you've had? seen a snooker player do in real life? Yeah, well, yeah. What's the worst thing you've seen a snooker player do, or any sports person? Um, <laughs> Kev from Southampton says, uh, a few years ago, my ex was on a cruise with um, a friend of hers and Mark Selby, and she convinced this happens sometimes she convinced herself that she'd gone to school with self she thought she recognized him from school um 
he was very confused, especially when she said that she went to school with him in Gosport. He politely pointed out he was from Leicester. And um, this is a thing that happens with celebrity sightings, I think, sometimes. Mm. You can't think where you know them from. Um, so you think, oh, I must be at school. It must be a yeah. friend of my brother. And um, Kev asks, has either of you been recognised mistakenly? And I, I definitely have. Go on then, you, you go first. I've had it a couple of times. Well, I talked about this on stage, but um, I got a free meal in Wagamama because they thought I was Chris O'Dowd from the IT crowd. <laughs> and they wouldn't say who that. They were just like, oh, you've been on TV, haven't you? And I, I said, well, yeah, which is true. But then yeah. they started asking more and more questions about the IT crowd. And I thought, ah, <laughs> we're in trouble. <laughs> but it's too late by then. They said he's on the house. So I owe Chris O'Dowd, if he's listening, um, a katsu. But, and sometimes, sometimes people, I had a, a bloke come up to me and said, um, again, he, he couldn't think where he knew me from. And he said, he used to run a bagel place in in um, North London. I said, no, I definitely. And he just wouldn't accept it. He was like, you did. It was definitely you. And I was like, mate, I'd, I'd remember if I'd had a bagel business. But it's people find it really hard to sort of join, what? especially with me. I've got the sort of face where you half recognize it. But, but yeah, I've, I've had, <laughs> like, I don't get recognized that much. But when I do, it often starts with someone going, oh, now can't quite think who you are, which is not a great start to a conversation, really. <laughs> I've, I've had a couple of weird ones. Um, there, was a te- there was a stage where I went through Twitter that ever, like people used, when I first had a beard, that people used to say I look like George Michael. Um, and my mum my, and my mum loves George Michael. So she's I can almost see it. Like George Michael. But I, I was in South Africa in Cape Town um, about – just before COVID, actually, working for I, I used to go there um, for the, the people that you work for in China. They used to put take pool tables to South Africa, so I went there in appearance to, to a couple of clubs. But I was walking down the street in Cape Town. This guy come towards me, and I did have sunglasses on, and he went, "George Michael," <laughs> and I looked. I went, "He's dead." <laughs> not not only am I George Michael, but he's not even alive, so I can't yeah. be George Michael. <laughs> you think that would rule it out, really? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, the last thing we asked was, um, have you ever avoided something like a holiday or a wedding or something to watch a snooker match? Oh, and- right, yeah. So last week um, in uh, Cheltenham, so they were playing our, pod- our first podcast through the the, ta- the, the, the arena. Oh, yeah, uh, well, amazing. In between sessions and everything. And I was in the green room, and, and you, you know yourself, it's like they, when, when I come at the studio, they switch the mics off because obviously yeah. if you say something, you can't you can't afford to say something that you, you shouldn't say. So all the mics are... So, my girlfriend came and she said, I've just heard you. I've been in the foyer. I've heard you through my earpiece saying, talking about um, missing funerals to play snooker, missing <laughs> holiday things to play. I said, but I've not been talking about that. But I, I, I panicked and thought my, my mic was yeah, on. Yeah, I thought you, you had a mic on for two hours. You might have said anything. <laughs> That's a terrifying feeling if you think, am I still mic'd up? Yeah. Like when you're just wandering yeah, around. Cause I ran, you're ran the, the sound guy straight away. I was like, am I on? Am I on? You have to you know, switch, switch this, switch this off. But it was, say, it, it, off, yeah. through the, but it was playing through the thing. The, the, so it was very strange. That's really funny. <laughs> Rollmeister147 from Twitter said, I ducked out of a mate's wedding because he got married on Crucible semi-final Saturday. No regrets. He's now divorced <laughs> and the evening session was a classic. So there you go. <laughs> He's, his memory of the semi-final has lasted longer than the actual marriage, which goes to show snooker is the winner <laughs> in the end. If, if you've ever got a clash like that, weigh up whether you think the marriage is going to work out. And if you've not got any faith in it, just get to the crucible. Like you said last week, Stephen, those tickets are very hard to get, whereas weddings, they come and go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so for our next show in uh, two weeks' time, um, 
for a start, as Stephen said, we'd like to hear about your most mundane encounters with snooker or any any sports people, any famous people, really. What mediocre stuff have you seen uh, sports people, but especially bonus points for snooker? And also because of our guest um, on this episode, we're asking you to create your dream band made up of snooker players. So be having a think about that. You're, you're a music group based on I'm already the lead singer, surely. We're mass, I mean, the mass singer. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've got to be the lead singer, surely. You've got the you've got the CV now. You've got the same yeah. CV. Yeah, absolutely. Would you be able to do it without the mask on, though? No, that is that is that is true. But I have I have my I have done lots of sort of drunken karaoke throughout China. That is not something I many of the listeners but, will but they think you doing. I'm fantastic because they can't understand what I'm singing, so they think I'm <laughs> oh, a round of applause. It's brilliant. When I've, <laughs> I've kind of butchered every song that I've tried to sing. What's your uh, What's your karaoke classic? What do my you take on? My song is easy, easy like Sunday morning. But not not the Lionel Richie version, the Faith No More version. Ah, uh, right, yeah. But um, so a little bit more upbeat. Yeah, well, it's a little bit more edgy. Yeah, a bit yeah. Like my character in snooker, you know, really edgy and like yeah, famous, <laughs> famous for your edge. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the uh, emails coming in. You can uh, email at snookerclub at wst.tv or social media. Just search for World Snooker Tour on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram, wherever you are in the world. Hopefully we'll hear from more people in the, the likes of Canada, but wherever you are, give us your feedback and answer our questions or anything else you want to raise. Tips from Stephen, other suggested names. Maybe you've always thought that Stephen was George Michael. All these things we can we can get down to. Hi, I'm Luca Brassell, and when I'm driving around in a Ferrari, I love listening to the WST official podcast, The Snooker Club. Okay, now it's time to welcome this week's guest. He's been a founding member of one of the biggest bands in the UK for over a quarter of a century, headlining Glastonbury in 2014 and winning a Brit, Mojo and seven NME awards in the process. Please welcome Chris Edwards from Kasabian. Good welcome. morning, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you okay? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Bit of a sore head. It's my son's birthday yesterday, so a few beers. You weren't, you weren't watching Mark Selby in the British Open? I was, mate. Yeah, I watched. Yeah, really wanted Mark to win. Um, of course, being from Leicester and Everton and being a good friend of mine, it was um, it was something that I wanted to to see him do this year. Mark Williams is obviously another great player. You know, yeah. a couple of time world champion, and so it was always going to be one of them frames that we're going to try and I don't know, you know, outdo each other tact- tactically rather than going yeah. full you know, full guns blazing kind of potting balls. Yeah, so. It's a kind of snooker that I've, I, I, it, well, I, it's not my kind of snooker. I must even <laughs> talk about how much he loves that sort of play. Well, because yeah. I couldn't play it. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you been yeah. there before when he has won, Chris? Have you have you witnessed Selby winning? A- yeah. I, I, well, we first won the Masters in 2008, I think it was. Um, and I wasn't there for that one. But then I think he won the Welsh Open in 2008 also. I think and I went down for the semis and he won. And then I drove back to Leicester and, and then I just went, I've got to go back down. I've got to go back down. So I, I drove back down to Cardiff and um, watched the Welsh Open. And that was the first one he won. And I was there for that. So, yeah. Oh, brilliant. That's so, a fan. I've also witnessed him do a 147 as well at the um, at the UK's, I think it was. Yeah. Um, but I think it was um, when they had the different tables and they said the pockets were much bigger and it was, a, you know, it was playing quite easy. All right, anyone can make a 147 in those circumstances. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I said to him, I could do that. <laughs> How is your snooker? Can you play? I can play a little bit, yeah. I've been playing for, I don't play a lot, which is probably my downfall. I love playing, but just finding the time to play. But um, my top break's 50, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> top break's uh, 51. So, right. so it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. And I've just got a new cue this year. So um, I'm hoping to uh, use that quite a bit. What so, make it? Who is it? Is it a John uh, Paris? John Paris made me one, yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, so how long did you have to wait? Because apparently there's a five year waiting list for those those queues. Five years? Not, not, not yeah. if you're saving, mate. Not if you're saving. Oh, it's who you now, isn't it? It was um, uh, Mukesh Palmer. Um, you know Mukesh? Yeah. yeah. Um, he, um, I think he owed Mukesh a favour. Right. So uh, there it is. Yeah, he asked. He asked Mukesh asked him if he could make me a queue because I've been on at Mukesh for years about getting a queue. My my life queue. You know what I mean? One that I'll probably never change. Um, so, and then he just, he, he presented it to me when they were doing something down at the Morningside Arena in Leicester. So I went down, met John Paris. I've met him before, but, um, and then he just presented me with a queue, which was amazing. You know, it's like, so. That, that's, that must be the least rock and roll thing you've ever done. I met a queue maker. <laughs> <laughs> Story to tell the grandchildren. Yeah, exactly. I'm talking about different kinds of wood and where they were from. And you know, <laughs> oh, this one's from Madagascar. I was like, oh, is yeah, it, John? But you want ash or maple. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. That I, is. Just, I just went, I don't know. Kind of Mukesh chose my weight, my tip and everything. So I said to him, you know, Mukesh has been a manager and all this kind of stuff. So I said, what kind of cue do you want? What weight do you want? What this? What tip? I was like, I don't know. I don't no know. Idea, mate. <laughs> you're, the, you're the kind of manager. You've seen me play because I play a lot with him as well. So I was like, like just you kind of pick it and, you, you know. You do it. Have you, ever had a table, um, have you had a table backstage at, at shows and stuff? The Rolling Stones took one with them, apparently. They take one with them everywhere. Really? Yeah, Ronnie, I think it's Ronnie and uh, Keith Richards have a frame before every show. Oh, I thought it was just a one-off thing. It's, no, they do it. They do it it's every part time. of their touring. Yeah. That's amazing. I think God. they have a team of like five guys that go around just for the snooker table. <laughs> I was going to say, with the economics of my touring, I don't think I can really have five men on the snooker table every gig, but that's brilliant. Yeah, no, so we've never had one backstage. We've had a five-a-side pitch. We had a five-a-side pitch backstage um, when we played Earl's Court. That's not and had, bad. Yeah, and had a five-a-side game against um, Oasis at the time <laughs> with Noel Gallagher there and stuff. Any other band members play? And I, I, must, say, I must say that because... I was working for BBC, and one of the world championships that Ronnie won, Serge, the singer, was there. Yeah, he was telling everyone he was a Ronnie fan. So, do you got you guys argue if they're playing each other? Uh, no, not really. No, I mean Serge knows where his allegiances should lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you can't help but like Ronnie. Do you know what I mean? And Ronnie's come to a few of our shows. All um, right, and we met him through um, Damien Hurst because he's a good friend with Damien Hurst. So they were going to the snooker. So we met Ronnie through there, and. Um, I've met most of the snooker players, and actually, new Steve is one I've never met or never spoke to. So right. it's a pleasure to do the podcast with you, mate. There you Welcome. go. Finally, it happens. I think I'm, <laughs> the listeners need to know who won when you met Oasis at Five Aside. Oh, mate, it was very early in the morning. <laughs> 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 I think rock and roll was the only winner there. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound like it was a great advertisement for the game of football. It was, it was after the gig. A few drinks had been flowing. Um, right, yeah. It wasn't... Uh, it was end-to-end stuff. Yeah, literally, yeah, yeah. So, did you did you ever watch Snooker when they were like Willie Thorne was was because he's obviously the most famous. Well, before Mark Selby, he was the most famous snooker player from Leicester. Yeah, um, I've been watching it for. I've been playing since I was about seventeen. Right. Um, but I've, I've, we've always had one of them. You know, everyone has a, a small snooker table at home in the eighties. So me and my <laughs> brothers, me and my brothers used to play on that. Um, yeah, and I used to watch it on the telly quite a bit. Yeah, and then Willie Thorne obviously had a snooker club in Leicester. Yeah, I went to um, that. yeah, I've been a member of a snooker club in Leicester for since I was seventeen as well. Right. So a member of two snooker clubs. There's one called One Four Seven, and then there's the Winchester Snooker Club, which um, 
Muckesh owns. Right. So I've been a member there since I was 17. That, that, the Winchester one sounds a much more interesting club than the other one, the 147 club. It's like, that's a bit <laughs> cliche, isn't it? But the Winchester yeah. sounds a bit like... Oh, mate, it's a proper... A rock and yeah. roll, put it that way. <laughs> it is a bit more rock and roll. There's a bar, they have a football on, loads of nine ball tables, eight ball tables, and then they've got probably about 10 or 12 snooker tables there as well. So... That's more more like what you expect to see from a snooker hall, you know. People say that snooker was sort of like rock and roll in the eighties when it was, you know, when it's like the massive, the golden era and stuff like that. Did you ever do anything, Stephen, like rock and roll antics? Well, I tell you, <clears throat> well, I mean, obviously, I, I just turned pro in eighty five, and and um, and I remember obviously my hero was Jimmy White, and he was obviously the rock and roll of snooker in, in the day. Him and Alex Higgins, they yeah. they would be, they would be the the sort of sort of bad boys kind of thing i remember i was in hong kong um my first trip to hong kong and jimmy white had this friend who had a boat and after the tournament took took us took us out in, on a boat and i we'd been out, out the night before and i couldn't drink then um that's a bad thing to say that i can drink now but i couldn't drink and, I, and, I, and i wasn't well the next morning so but so i was seasick so i had to be and i couldn't swim so Barry Hearn and Robbo, who was Steve Davis's kind of driver, they had to take me on each shoulder and, and sort of swim me to the shore so I could get <laughs> off the boat. But but meanwhile, Jimmy White is now on a speedboat that the guy had on his big off his big of course boat. He is. He's going like so fast, right? He had Steve Davis on it, who was <laughs> himself. You have to say, I could I could tell, and he and he sunk the boat, Jimmy. <laughs> so they had to come in and rescue it and the whole way back to hong kong this this guy's crew were on this boat like with buckets taking the water out this 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 little, little boat that jimmy white had sunk it's a miracle white is still with us really when you hear some of the stories <laughs> yeah. yeah i was meant to play him actually a couple of weeks ago they had um, a charity fundraiser in leicester and i was meant to play him and uh, i couldn't make it i was away and i was gutted oh that's a shame <laughs> it's funny because yeah. jimmy white now is is so not rock and roll He's yeah. gone the other way. He's like yeah. snooker six hours a day, and and you know he's he's fully on snooker. Whereas Steve Davis is now a DJ at Glastonbury. Yeah. Like you guys like doing. He's, they've, they've swapped. Yeah, exactly. Davis. If you had to predict whether Steve Davis would be DJing for Blur, I, I don't think many people would have got that. To be fair, <laughs> in the nineties. What are you up to just now? Are you busy or? Um, a little bit busy. Yeah, we've got recording in London tomorrow. Um, we're recording the new album actually. So, right. um, I'll bring the next. Over the next three weeks, we've got two weeks recording down in London. So to finish the album, we've already got six tracks already written, uh, recorded, ready to go on the, the next album, which will be out early next year, I think. We've talked a bit about touring. You, you're off to the States and North America. Yeah, I'm off to the States in November. We think we've got about nine dates, uh, eight dates in America, and then um, one in Mexico City as well. We're doing a festival in Mexico. Nice. So we've got that in November. That'll be a little two-week tour that we we'll go off and do that. Um, and then that'll be it for the year, pretty much. And then we'll just get the album kind of mixed, mastered and delivered to the record company, hopefully in December. How many tournaments have you been to, to, to actually I've, watch live? Quite a few, yeah. Well, a venue, so what's your favourite favorite venue? Is it the Crucible? You've been to the Masters? That's a good one, isn't um, it? Yeah, I went to the Crucible, been to the Worlds, um, been to Ali Pali. Yeah, but I, I do like going to the Crucible, just where it's kind of set up and you've got that nice area out the front, kind of the square. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a nice vibe. You always watch in the arena. You don't watch in the Champions Lounge. You prefer to be in the arena, get the atmosphere. Well, funny you should say this, actually. Last time we went up, uh, me and Mukesh went up, and we got invited into one of the lounges. And right. we went and watched the first couple of frames to the first interval. And then we went into the lounge, and we just had a beer. And we said, oh, and then the frame started. And we said, we'll just, we'll just finish this beer, then we'll go down. Yeah. And then we had another beer. And then we, <laughs> and then we just stayed in the lounge watching. And then we got all the way to Sheffield on the train. And we just stood in this really small kind of, I think it was the Champions Lounge or the Legends Lounge. And yeah. literally it was, you know, 
people of your caliber. You know, Steve Davis would walk in. Uh, Jimmy White was in there. You know, I think Ken Doherty was in there. I think, and then all these people walking out. I'm going, oh wow. So um, we had a good chat with Jimmy White that day, actually, as well. He thought I was a footballer, so I was quite... Um, <laughs> yeah, he goes, oh, I thought you were a f***ing footballer, you know, the way you were dressed. And I was like, hey, I'm over 40, and he thinks I'm a footballer, so I'm, I'm happy with that. It's <laughs> a compliment, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's your, I mean, the atmosphere inside a snooker, I mean, obviously, it's so, it couldn't be any more opposite to what you guys do. I mean, it's so yeah. quiet in there, and then it, obviously, you, you want the noise that you're... But it's, it must be... It's completely different, right? It is completely different, yeah. I mean... You know, normally when I go to the snooker, you know, I don't have a beer or anything. So I don't like getting up out my seat and getting, you know, because yeah. then you're not allowed in for the frame. And But um, I went to the shootout last year at the Morningside Arena in Leicester. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, which is, is, is very different. I do enjoy yeah. watching it. I couldn't play in it. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing. You have to have tournaments that are different. And it's great entertainment. Um, yeah. As a player myself, um, I mean, I played, played one in Blackpool. And um, my ex-wife was from Blackpool. And, and someone said, I couldn't even repeat what they said about her sister. At the top, right. of got introduced, and I thought <laughs> I can't be playing in these events. This is like, yeah. this is like madness. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not exactly the crucible. No. 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 All right, Chris, we're going to see what sort of break you can compile now in our well legendary tough quiz format. Uh, Henry didn't even well, get into double digits last week. Eight, eight to beat. beat. If I can so, beat, if I can break build and beat Stephen Hendry, I'll be. Uh... <laughs> well, you'll ever get a better chance to beat Hendry than this, I reckon. Um, yeah. So it's or a just red... enter a World Snooker tournament. <laughs> oh, I suppose, actually, yeah. There's numerous ways you can beat Hendry yeah. now. Fair play. Yeah. <laughs> get yourself a wild card, Chris. Yeah. Um, so uh, Red Bull is a question about Kasabian, and then uh, once you've put that away, you can choose green, blue, or black. Green is music, blue is general knowledge, uh, and black is snooker. If you want to go so, for the glory. So just to just to clarify, do I have to go red colour, red colour, red colour? Uh, yes, but you yes. can choose okay. the colours. Yeah. Yeah, okay, perfect. Uh, one minute, 47 seconds, I believe it is. Are you ready? Okay, yep. Okay. So, opening red. What was the original band name of Kasabian? Syracuse. I thought you'd get that. <laughs> Correct. Uh, choose your colour. Uh, I'll go for a, a blue. Blue, so general knowledge. What is the name of the coffee shop in Friends? Uh, Central Perk. Correct. Oh, that's Back to Reds. I'm getting, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> He's not happy with the refereeing. He's wasting my time as well now, look. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'll be t- there'll be time added on for that. Um, yeah. In 2013, Kasabian became the first band to play at what stadium? Uh, King Power. Oh, no. I've got Olympic Stadium, the, the London Stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, Olympic. Yeah, King Power 2014. Yeah, you're right. Oh, there you go. Oh, Not always easy. Uh, next red. Well, this is hard, actually. Within five million, how many streams has your song Fire had on Spotify? Uh, 39 million. 159 million. Oh, wow. But, yeah, you should be much richer out of that, you think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, uh, another red. I reckon you'll get this. Which former professional goalkeeper did Serge score against it at Soccer Aid in 2012? Oh, David Seaman. Correct. Colour? Uh, I'll go for a black. Oh, he's going big. Yeah, I'm going big. This is, again, tough. How many ranking titles has John Higgins won? Ranking titles? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 29? Pretty good. 31. Oh, that's, yes, that's unlucky. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's close. Back to a red. Where in the UK charts did your first album, Kasabian, get? Where did it chart? Um, four. Correct. And 
Time for another colour, I think. Uh, yeah, we'll go for a green then. Green. What country is Rihanna from? Oh, uh, USA? It's Barbados. Oh. Um, what year did you win uh, an Enemy Award for Best British Band? Uh, 2014. Oh, 15. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in which, another red. In which country is Kasabian a common surname? Uh, Armenia. Correct. Uh, colour? Uh, black. Oh, he's gone big. <laughs> got to. <laughs> got to, got to at this point. Got to take the risk. Yeah. And in what year, oh, hello, in what year did friend of Chris Edwards, Mark Selby, win his first world title? 2010. Oh, it's 14. Oh, God. Agonising. Not doing well on the black, am I? <laughs> well, that was tense. Uh, Chris, your break is nine, four reds oh, and blue. Which look at that. Just <laughs> takes you <laughs> by one. I'll take that. You know what I mean? You know, there's a lot of things. You know, it's one better, isn't it? You know, like a final tap sentence. It's one louder. It, you know, it's that extra push. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, Stephen's muttering about the timing and the, the officiating, but it it was him himself that wasted time complaining about the easy central perk. And in the end, that friend's question was the decider. Actually, that, those five points. Exactly. Are and you know what? I'm... You lose. Blame everyone else except yourself. Yeah, yeah we won't of, get a word out of him now for the rest of the podcast. Exactly. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed that I knew that as well. <laughs> it's only because my wife's a big friend yeah, fan. Yeah, oh, yeah, I knew it. It doesn't matter how they go in. Yeah. So there you are, the new yeah. high score for the series, Chris Edwards with nine. I don't think that's going to stick around for long as the highest break, do you? We've seen, though, it is harder. <laughs> even questions about yourself, not always easy, yeah. especially these ones about what year something happened. How are you meant to remember that? It all becomes exactly. a blur. I can't remember from 2010 to 2020, to be honest. <laughs> there you go. So that's your weak spot. Yeah. The lost decade. Yeah, yeah the lost decade, yeah. Uh, well, good luck with everything, Chris. Look forward to that new album uh, around World Championship time. And well done yeah. on your uh, new high score of nine. Thanks yeah, for coming. Thank Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's good. a pleasure. It's been great talking to you both. Cheers. Uh, that's all from us this week on the Snooker Club. Please remember, if you haven't already, to download... Uh, and leave a review. The best clips from the show, and there are some some cracking clips, uh, will be available to watch on YouTube. Just search for World Snooker Tour. Thanks for listening, guys. Contact the show via snookerclub at wst.tv. Remember, we're asking for your fantasy music band made up of snooker players. Next week, tune into the 147, your fortnightly roundup from WST. Mark and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Cheers, guys. Bye for now. <laughs>